All right. So this morning, we are starting a new series of messages um, that are going to be looking at uh, 15 of the Psalms in the book of Psalms. They begin with Psalm 120, and they conclude in Psalm 134. And if you read the, the little line before each one of these Psalms, it says, a song of ascent means going up. And as Darden, Pastor Darden explained earlier, these Psalms were part of the journey of God's people anytime they were called to go to the temple and engage in a ritual act, their journey toward Jerusalem, which was the highest point in Palestine at that time, well, still is, I guess, um, uh, their journey towards Jerusalem always involved going up, and we'll, we'll see that in some of the scriptures we're going to look at today. Um, but these were their songs. So every Jewish person, even if they could not travel they would be home in their synagogues and they would sing these songs in their spiritual approach to a high holy day. And so these were kind of, if you can think about it this way, these were the Christmas carols and the amazing grace. And if you have a favorite Easter song, throw that in there too. That was this, this was that collection of songs for God's people. You will, you will see as we journey through these 15 psalms and You'll be glad to know most of them are short. That's good. Um, but as we journey through these together, you will notice that they are many times in many places very gritty. They, there's dirt under the fingernails of these authors. They are living in the real world. They are engaged in real struggles, and they express that frustration of life and faith so very well. And so that's going to be part of our... Um, our journey through these together, and this will all culminate. We'll do eight pieces in the fall, eight in the spring, which means one of them won't include one of the Psalms, which is today. Um, I'll explain later. But this is all. This will all be our sort of long approach, both to Easter and the celebration of Christ's resurrection, as well as a. a a look inward at our own journeys, our own struggles, our own pains, our own victories in Christ together. And so to that end, there will be small groups that will be meeting. We'll have a women's group on Monday night. We'll have a um, Zoom or in-person hybrid on Tuesday nights. That will be at the Kaler's home. And then on Wednesday nights, I'll have a men's Bible study, and we'll be journeying through these psalms together. And we invite you to participate to engage. We'll be sending out a few emails here and there, text messages probably with the, the passages that we're, that we're looking at each week, and just encourage you to open your Bibles throughout the week, read these Psalms, engage them, um, and uh, we will kind of just journey together and see what happens. And uh, so, to that end, um, this, there was, there's a pastor who is now deceased his name was Eugene Peterson. If you've ever heard of him, you've heard of him because he wrote a, a version of the Bible called The Message. It's not really a translation. It's more of a uh, paraphrase, a living, sort of expressive uh, 
articulation of what's in each passage of the Bible that is more for the heart. And so Mr. Peterson, many, probably 40, 50 years ago, something like that, got into these 14, I'm sorry, 15 Psalms and wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And when Pastor Kaler and I were discussing uh, using that book as a premise for a sermon series and some small groups, I was like, well, if you take the first letters, those are all the same first letters as the mints, Altoids. Set up, there we go. All right. So we just ripped off their copyright, trademark, whatever. It's okay, we're not making money off of it. Um, but that's the premise that, that as we journey together, over a long time in the same direction, our faith will become curiously strong. No? All right, we'll just keep going. Um, okay, so our first stop, just to demonstrate to you what, what we're talking about, uh, we're going to use Jesus as our example from the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John. We find these words in verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews... That's a high holy day. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And so this would have been in keeping with the Psalms of Ascents. He would have been actually singing these 15, I'm sorry, 15, yes, Psalms as he ascended. That would have been what he was doing. And those with him would have been reviewing this content as they walked toward Jerusalem. Um. This, these were pilgrim songs. They were the songs, some people had to journey for days to get to Jerusalem for a high holy day. And these would be the, the songs that would be repeated throughout that journey. Okay, um, just a little, if you like statistics and that sort of thing, by my count, there are four psalms out of 150 that end on a down note, like something that's not, you know, praise the Lord or God is good or something like that. There are four psalms out of 150 that end on a down note. Three of them are in this collection of the psalms of ascent. I'm telling you, these are down-to-earth, gritty, real uh, works of art. Um, so, I'm going to read again the verse I read to the kids from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. This, I repeat, simply to reinforce the idea that we are pilgrims. We're on a journey. Um, I, I think it was William Faulkner who said that um, we're not... We're not building monuments, we're leaving footprints. A monument says this is, this is here forever. A footprint says that's where I was while I was on my way to somewhere else. And so that's the idea, that we are journeying with Christ. He is the way that we follow toward something. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This idea that we are walking, that we are ascending, 
walking, and that that walking is an uphill battle. It's an uphill climb. It's a struggle. It's difficult. It is something we need to be engaged in and focused upon. All right. So I want to talk about this idea of journeying or pilgrimage together, this walking the way of Christ and the uphill nature of this calling. And so I've, I've landed today in a passage that's in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. And just to give you a little bit of background, the author of the book of Hebrews has just finished a very long list of Old Testament men and women of faith who God proved to be faithful in and through them over time, over their long journeys in the same direction. And then he turns the corner in chapter 12 to talk more directly about Christ and our place in this long line. So I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you have all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I got to admit, I'm an odd choice to be talking to you about a long race. I know people who run long races, they swim them, they bike them, they run them. Um, that's not me. I do have a little bit of experience um, with high school football coaches who oddly 
understood this passage really, really well. And I can tell you that all of those times in practice where we were miserable and being asked to do things that we would in no other circumstance of life be willing to do, it was always with a goal in mind. And a good football coach, or any good coach, understands that the goal is not actually winning. The goal is improving and shaping and forming and growing and strengthening and developing skills and mindsets and tenacity that will serve you in life. And so we, <laughs> we would gather August 1st in Houston, Texas every year at, I don't know, like 8 in the morning in the weight room, and the regimen would start. And then they would send us home, we'd have lunch, and we'd come back at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Did I mention it was August the 1st? Did I mention that? These were affectionately called two-a-days. Um, the morning was all in the weight room, in the air conditioning. The 4 o'clock, you didn't get any air conditioning. You got conditioning, but there was no cool air involved. And the grind, the grueling days, the sweat, the blood, the dirt, all of it um, was aimed at something greater. We were working toward a goal. We were trying to um, come together as a team and overcome obstacles. It was not pleasant. And I think my senior year of high school, we tied one game, and we lost all the other games. And so you're, you're on that field wondering, like, why am I here? What's the purpose of all of this? And uh, the reason we got crushed my senior year was because my junior year, our football team sent five linemen who graduated as seniors to Southwest Conference Division I, like UT, SMU was a big deal back then, um, A&M, all these big schools with big players. Our quarterback went to UT, um, and we lost all this talent. But my junior year, we crushed everyone. And so when we show up our senior year without all these guys, they're just chomping at the bit to draw blood from our team. And they did. We were not ready. We were not what we were the year before, and they did not care. Um, was it worth it just getting pummeled week after week after week? In retrospect... I would argue, yes, it was worth it. At the time, I think everyone on that team thought about quitting. And the reason you don't is because of the other guys on your team, right? There's no other reason to keep going, except you've been with most of these guys since you were in sixth grade playing this stupid game together, and so why not finish? But you do, in that 
sort of crushing series of defeats, you do learn a few things. You do grow. You do understand what is most important because it's not about winning at that point when you're 0, 8, and 1. We weren't, like, we didn't lose them all. That was our only saving grace. Okay. No glory in a tie anyway. Um, so let me take us back into this passage that really explores this idea of the journey that we are on by faith in Christ. And we'll begin by looking at what this author is trying to tell us, which I think can be put this way, prepare for the long haul. Not every day is going to be a victory. But we're going somewhere. We are on a journey. We are on a pilgrimage to a place, a, a, a way of living, a way of thinking, a way of being. Prepare for the long haul. And to do that, you are to remember to take your place in a long line. You are not the first human being to have the struggles that you're having. You're not the first one of God's children to feel the way you feel. You stand in a long line of predecessors, a great cloud of witnesses, the author of Hebrews tells us. Um, You are part of a bigger family. And so hop on, get in line, and let's begin the walk together. The first thing that we are told in verse 1, after we're told that we're part of an enormous family, is that we are to shed the weight of our guilt. This idea that we are on a journey, and I'll, I'll tell you a quick little story. When I, My senior year in, in college, I had a friend who was a mountain climber like legit, like he'd already scaled McKinley, I think it was called at the time, it's now Denali, um, which I think is the tallest mountain in North America, is that right? Um, Continental North America, tallest mountain. What? Oh, I thought it was Pikes Peak. No, my bad, what do I know? But Matt was an accomplished climber, he'd done that thing in Patagonia that's really big, whatever that one is. he had done McKinley, and he was, he was on a path. There's like five mountains in the world that you have to climb within a certain time period uh, to be able to be qualified to approach uh, the big one, Everest. Thank you. Um, and uh, so Matt was on this, and I'm like, hey, I want you to like, go with me, I want to, you know, I need somebody, I don't, I'm not going to climb anything, but I want to, like, do part of the Appalachian Trail. He's like, great, and I said, you plan the journey, I'll, I'll plan all the food. He's like, sure, so we show up for our first day. I have, I'm not making this up, this is a six-day backpacking trip, right? I have a can of Spam, 
I have a five-pound bag of bread dough, of, of actually just flour with all the, the stuff mixed in. So you add water, and then it starts to rise, and then you make your little campfire bread. And I have a brick, probably two-pound brick of cheese. I'm going to eat well, right? And he had told me, like, bring a stick of butter for every night we're there because it's going to be cold. And what you do, if it's going to be cold, you only have your sleeping bag. You, you take your hot chocolate right before you go to bed. You cut a stick of butter in half. You put half a stick in your cup, half a stick in his cup, and you chug hot chocolate butter right before you go to bed. You have the calories to burn all night long, right? That was his approach anyway. We had, I think, 30, 40 pounds of food for, I don't know, six days. Um, Most backpackers have that freeze-dried, it looks like dried vomit. I think it's called beef stroganoff. They put it in a foil package. It weighs like nothing. You boil some water, you eat it, you survive. The people who shared the Appalachian Trail shelters with us were just like, what is going on? We are, we are in the middle, of, we are 50 miles from the closest gas station, and we're eating bannock bread, ham, cheese sandwiches. We are living large, man. It was great. Um, How on earth did I get on this subject? Shed the weight. Shed the weight. We gained weight on a six-day, like, 75-mile journey. Um, God understands where your starting point is. He knows the baggage you're carrying, and he says simply this, I sent my son to take care of all of that, and I want you to walk in freedom. I want you to shed the weight and know that I will provide for you. I will give you what you need to thrive. And you can walk with me in freedom. To shed the weight of, the, of our guilt and to shatter the idol of sin. I, I don't know about you, Um, I think, well, actually, I do, but I'll just talk about me. All of us, including myself, have sin that besets us, things that we we repeat even though we know we shouldn't, things we repeat, uh, and it just, we can beat the ever-living tar out of ourselves over some of these things. And God says, Just stop. Stop. If you want to overcome a besetting sin, stop focusing on the besetting sin. Stop letting it, stop beating yourself up over it. Stop giving it that power and let it go. Focus on something else. And God is telling you, listen to me. I have paid the penalty for your sins. Stop penalizing yourself. Stop it. You are forgiven. You are free. You can shed your guilt 
You can stop making an idol out of sin, and you can just walk with me in freedom and in grace. I'm not saying that as we take these steps together, we will never sin again. We will. You are forgiven. The burden of that sin has been taken from you by Christ on the cross. He bled there. He died there for you. Live in that freedom. Take your place in that long line and keep your eyes on the sun. Not the sin. Do you see the difference? We, we, want to, we want to get so focused on whatever this is we're doing or not doing, or whatever it is that someone else is doing or not doing, and God says, look up. We are journeying upward. It is uphill, but that's where our eyes need to be. You are to base your standing in God's eyes entirely on Christ. Listen to how the author puts it in verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God, of the throne of God. Your standing before God is based on Christ's suffering and death, the work he accomplished on the cross for your forgiveness. Your standing is also based upon his resurrection from the dead and his ascension to the right hand of God the Father. So if you were here last week, you heard the two Leroy girls talk about Jesus tells them that God is our friend, which is a really odd concept, at least for me. Um, but think about this. The one who suffered for you, the one who died for you, the one who has made himself your friend spiritually, is seated where? At the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He is in the place of power and authority over everything. He overcame sin, he overcame death, and he is yours. His spirit lives in your heart. So, that is your basis for your assurance as God's child. No one can take that away from you. And so, keeping your eyes on the sun means basing your standing entirely on Christ and basing your expectations on Christ's path. What path did God choose for his own son? Was it easy? Was it painless? Was there no frustration in Jesus' life? There was. This was his path. You are his friend. You are God's child. Therefore, expect to follow that path. He is the way. And his way involves problems. Expect, the author tells us, hostility. Expect people to oppose you or your faith. 
expect this not to be easy, but to be an uphill climb. Expect a struggle. I do remember I, I had my Christ experience in high school. And I remembered thinking after I had made that prayer where you invite Jesus into your heart and you surrender and you confess your sin and you ask him to be your Lord and Savior. And I remember thinking, oh man, this is awesome. My problems are over. No more struggle. This is great. Um, I don't think my 16-year-old soul fully understood what was ahead. Um, But there I was with all that wrong expectation. And I'm just here to set the record. What we should expect is not free and easy. Um, Following Christ comes at a cost. And I'm not saying you have to pay that cost to be in good standing. You're already covered. You're in. You're family. But being in that family is an uphill journey. We need to have our expectations set correctly. So when difficulties arise, we don't doubt our creator. We just wonder what he's up to. Okay. So, this author tells us to prepare for the long haul and to remember who we are. You are a child of God. You were actually not born into God's family. You were purchased and adopted. The price for your adoption was the death of God's son. And so here we are as his children. And the author of this passage, and and I, I keep saying it that way, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, Hebrews, um, and it doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. We just don't, we don't, the author didn't name himself and we can't figure out from his style of writing or her style of writing uh, who it was. So we don't know. All bets are off. Anyone that tells you they know, run away. Um, Okay. Remember who you are. You are a child of God and This passage reminds us that that means you are loved. You have a place in God's family. But the author goes on to remind you that while God loves you, he hates your sin. And so if you think about it this way, if God's trying to get rid of my sin and I've got a bear hug on my sin, I'm going to get hurt. It's going to hurt. As I learn to let go, it hurts less. Now, these are very complicated themes. I am not telling you that any suffering in your life is the result of your sin. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that God is engaged in an exercise of defeating the sin in your life. He ultimately defeated all of it on the cross. The rest of this life that we have here is the working out of that battle. The battle 
the end of the battle is sure and certain. There's no doubt who wins and what side you're on. The difficulty comes in the in-between. He loves you. He hates your sin. This is why we are called disciples. It's the word discipline. A father disciplines their child. I read an article just the other day that um, teenagers who had stricter parents have higher earning potential in adulthood. I immediately forwarded that to my daughters and said, you're welcome. I need a cut of that. I need a cut. Thank you very much. All right. If, if you raise a child without discipline, that's not love. If you raise a child without love, that's not okay either. Every child, including me, should know two things. One, that they are deeply loved, unconditionally. Two, that they are not in charge of their world. They will be happier knowing that there, is, there are limits, there are boundaries, there is discipline involved. Now, very important distinction. Well, I'm going to, we'll, we'll leave that aside for a second. I'm going to keep moving through what I have here. You are a child of God, and you are a work in progress. I don't know if that's good news or bad news, but God is not finished with you yet. And as we work through this progression, we have to be able to trust that he is going somewhere with us, that this is all for a purpose, that he has a plan. And as we move through these disciplines of life from God, we have to know that he's moving us toward good. So this is where the, the football coach analogy comes back in. When we would like have a bad practice and the coach would say, all right, line up. And you start either doing um, sprints or what did they call it? I forget what they call it. You run 10, you sprint 10 yards, you dive on your belly, you crawl another five, you get back up, you sprint 10, you dive on your belly. What is that called? Hell? What? Uh, I don't know. It was terrible. It was just terrible. Um, and you're, you're like, your sweat and your snot are like collecting on your face mask and then it collects dirt and turns to mud, and it's just like, and your coaches love it, right? And all of that is for a reason. It is called conditioning, and you get into the fourth quarter of some terrible football game, and you actually do appreciate that you're not sucking eggs, as they called it, like the other team is. You still have some gas in your tank. And uh, everything that God does is for a reason. He's going somewhere with you. And it is toward good, and it is toward becoming more like his son. So 
every frustration that we have in life is an opportunity for us to figure out better what Jesus would look like in that situation through us. For us to, and do not get me wrong, like, I don't do this all that well. Like, when I'm in conflict with someone, I'm not typically thinking about how Jesus I can be, right? But God wants us to get there. He wants us to learn, to grow, to change, to develop, to cultivate more and more those aspects of his son in our own lives. We're to trust that he's going somewhere with us, and we're to wait for the fruit of that discipline. Over time, we gain something through this struggle, through this upward climb. Very important, going back to the parenting analogy, God is not punishing you. God is not out to get you. He doesn't hate you. He does hate your sin. He loves you. He wants good for you. He wants Christ to come out through you. He is not punishing you. He punished Christ for your sins. You're done. You're forgiven. You're covered. He is training you so that you can more and more eat of the peaceful fruit of righteousness in your life. Or maybe better put, he's training you so that those around you can taste of the peaceful fruit of righteousness in your life. So that you are less of whatever you shouldn't be and more and more toward that peaceful fruit of righteousness. God is going somewhere with you. It is a long haul, but on the journey, you are to remember who you are. We will be journeying together through the 15 Psalms over these next few weeks um, toward that place where God wants us to be, more and more reflecting his image, his grace, his love. Will you pray with me? God, our loving Father, we... Thank you for your word, and we thank you even for your loving discipline, that you are shaping us and growing us to become more and more that which is a reflection of your son, of his love, his grace, his patience, his peace, his holiness and righteousness, that we can even believe that we could reflect such things as a miracle. And it only comes because of what you have done for us on the cross. And so we give you thanks, and we pray for your presence and strength in our journey, that you would draw us together, closer to each other, closer to you along the way, and that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and lead us to become more and more like your son. It is in his name we pray. Amen.